This clip uh, involves uh, Derek Zoolander coming back home. So he's been a male model in New York and traveling the world, and he realizes that there might be something more to life than just being really, 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 really good looking. So he goes in search of that meaning, you know, how can he become a real man, right? So you have to go back home to do that and connect with your father and your brothers, right? So he goes home to the uh, coal mining town and he spends a day in the mines with his dad and his brothers. And then after that day in the mines, uh, they all go to the local watering hole um, to kind of uh, drown their sorrows. So his father, played by Christopher Walken, and his two brothers, one played by Vince Vaughn, are sitting there at the bar. And Derek, uh, after cleaning off all the coal dust, has now come out to join them. And so Derek Zoolander, and just a just a kind of a, a humorous look at fathers, sons, male identity, all that sort of stuff. Who's winning the match? I think I'm getting the black lung, Bob. It's not very well ventilated down there. For Christ's sake, Derek, you've been down there one day. Talk to me in 30 years. wants to be a merman. So, uh, I don't know. We don't have to talk about that. That's just, you can, if you have questions, email me about that. <laughs> but you do see some of those. I mean, it makes light of that stuff, but I think um, there's probably several of us in that room that have felt that need to live up to your father's approval and whether you've been able to do that or not. Um, um, there's some men who live for that, and then after about 20 years, they say, well, forget this, and then they become something totally different, uh, finally do whatever it is they wanted to do. Um, 
So, uh, but Derek Zoolander is finding out that he can't he can't please his dad, and uh, so his path to manhood. We're reading a little too much in a movie that's not that serious, but um, anyways, I offer that to you. Uh, the rest of the movie is hilarious. Um, it involves a cameo by David Bowie, so it just gets better um, from here on out. Um, I'm not going to shut down the computer just because I've got everything ready for hopefully to, to play that clip that I tried to play last night. Um, but uh, but don't be distracted by the glowing screen. We're so drawn to glowing screens. But we're not going to do anything with it for a long time. I'm going to talk to you for a little bit. Um, let me just pray before I begin. Um, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts that we may perfectly worship Thee, that we may hear from You this morning, that we would be open to the movement of Your Spirit um, in our own hearts. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, I felt a little scattered last night, so I want to recap a little bit. I think it was all the oysters, who knows. Uh, But I want to just summarize briefly what we said last night and then move on this morning uh, to the kind of phase two. So, I said last night that all men hide, and we looked at the story of Achan from the book of Joshua, where as the Israelites are going into the promised land, they're trying to wipe out the city of Ai, God says, don't take anything, but this man Achan decides to steal a nice robe and some silver and gold, and he takes these things uh, and he buries them in the ground in the middle of the floor underneath the rugs of his tent. And uh, this brings judgment upon Israel, And uh, but God knows, uh, uh, you know, as we just prayed, um, from whom no secrets are hid. So uh, he's called uh, in front of the whole camp and he confesses, what he's done. He says, I, wa- I wanted them and I took them. We talked a little bit about what he took and the significance <coughs> of it. He could have taken anything uh, ostensibly, but he took, um, he took something that was related to his physical appearance, a nice Babylonian outer garment, um, and he took something, uh, and he took money. So, uh, and uh, it's interesting that as a man, he wanted something to change the way people see him to elevate his status, and he took money. Again, that's something that men have been chasing for millennia um, as a way of kind of uh, establishing themselves in the world and um, and showing that they have worth and value uh, to others uh, as a man. So he hides it. Uh, I wanted it, and I took it, and he hid it. And then, of course, he has to return the stolen goods. And uh, someone asked us, what happened to Aiken after that story? And, and the answer is, well, he got stoned. Um, and not in the good sense, um, or in the bad sense. But he, he people threw rocks at him. Uh, uh, he was called, and everybody had to gather around, and they all he brought, and him and his entire family. I mean, they were all wiped out. So, uh, um, it's it's a it's a rough story. So we're going to have a stoning today as part of the retreat. That's going to be our next exercise. Um, we're going to draw straws. I the thought that was kind or the bad kind? no, yeah, the bad kind. Yeah. <laughs> Is he serious? Um, so, um, uh, we looked at him as Aiken is sort of the prototype for men hiding things. Um, and, uh, you know, what I said is uh, the reason Aiken took things the w- and hid them, the reason we hide things is because we're all trying to win the man contest or we're trying to get points. We're trying to show that we have value, that we have worth, um, whether it's decisions about what to major in in college, what career you'll pursue, what track you'll you'll go after, um, and again, if you if you ever suffer a, a reversal in those things, if um, 
and, and men have lots of ways that this shows up. If you have um, a wife that uh, turns out to not be what you thought your wife should be, um, um, and, or if your career turns out to be um, um, uh, unfulfilling, or even worse, if you end up sort of uh, getting laid off or losing your job or something, especially in midlife, those things where you, you have a major reduction in the, in the man points you've been collecting, um, and you feel um, lost, and you, you feel ashamed. Uh, you, uh, um, you can't... Um, if you've been through that experience where you don't want to go out because you're worried that you're going to run into somebody you know, and you just can't tell them that your son has failed out uh, of Hampton, Sydney, or you don't want to tell them that your wife um, has left you, or you don't want to tell them that um, you didn't make partner and uh, you, you're forced to take early retirement, or whatever the case may be. So those major reductions in your man points, and that, that's going to crush you. You didn't get into the college of your choice, you know, that you were expected to get into. Um, so those things happen, and, and the result is we, we hide, uh, because uh, we hide the things that are, that are bad, we think the things that won't get us points, the things that will call us, cause us reduction in the points we're trying to collect in this man contest. Um, and uh, um, we do that for all our lives. Um, uh, because there's so many demands. There's so many demands on what it means to be a successful man, what it means to be a man. Um, and those, it's a moving target. It changes through the years. James Bond today looks very different than James Bond of the 60s, you know, whether it's Sean Connery or Roger Moore or now the new guy, what's his name? Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, yeah, thank you. Um, uh, you know, that's sort of an archetype of manliness, right? Um, uh, those things change over time. It's a moving target, but but it's a standard that uh, we all sort of know about. Um, uh, you know, are you successful enough? Are you intelligent enough? Um, do you have six-pack abs? I mean, I, I do, but I didn't see the <laughs> I didn't see the rest of you in the gym this morning. Um, no, I wasn't there either. Um, uh, yeah, some men have the six-pack, some have the keg. It just, you know, it depends. Yeah. Um, uh, do you show enough mastery? One thing that men are judged on all the time is kind of, are you, are you a master of your subject area? Um, are you a master of the situation? No man likes to look like he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, the ex I'll tell you a story at my expense right now. Um, when I was in college, one summer I lived in San Diego, and across the way there was a very attractive uh, young woman who, um, uh, you know, I spent most of that summer trying to impress. And one day I came home from work. I had a job uh, working um, downtown, and I came home to this. It, we lived right on the beach, and um, she was washing her neighbor's car. She had offered as a favor to wash this guy's car. Um, and so, gentleman that I am, I offered to help. And um, uh, she, because she, she didn't know what she was doing. She, she um, had apparently never washed a car before. She had a tiny little bucket and uh, a tiny little sponge. She was trying to wash, this, wash a huge SUV. And all she had was the water in the bucket. And there was no hose nearby. So this was going to be a very long process, apparently. So I said, well, we've got to move the car to where the hose is. Because we have to, the first step is to wet the car, and uh, or the truck. So um, uh, she's like, "All right, you move it." So I get in the driver's seat. She gets in the passenger seat, and I see that the car is uh, a manual transmission, and I don't know how to drive stick. 
Um, I mean, I know in theory, right? I understand how it works. Clutch, put it in gear, etc. Uh, and um, but I just don't have practice in it, right? I, I I came of age in the 90s, right, where you know they, it's hard to find a car with a manual transmission anymore. Um, so, but I'm thinking to myself, well, uh, you know, how hard can this be? Uh, I just I just have to I just have to back it up and kind of turn um, while going in reverse. So uh, the hose is you know 30 feet away. So I start the engine depress the clutch, put it in reverse, um, and I turn the wheel a little bit because ha- I have to back up and turn at the same time. So I turn in the way that I have to back up, and, um, and, I, and I, um, I don't quite have the finesse, maybe, that I should have. So I give it too much gas, the car backs up really quickly and turns, and, uh, and we, we run into a pole. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, Marla and I never did go on a date. Um, <laughs> And uh, and I had to, I had to confess to the car's owner uh, what I had done. But you know, he, praise the Lord, um, he had grown up in California, and I don't think he had many brain cells left. And um, and he looked at the, it. What you know, it, it was it was a superficial sort of scratch. And he said, "Tell you what, man, it's just material possessions. <laughs> don't worry about it." And he walked off. I said, "Thank you, Lord, for the hippie movement." <laughs> Um, thank you for Eastern mysticism. Uh, so, um, so anyway, but, but I, I mean, I, I had to demonstrate mastery of the situation. I, I couldn't say the simple words to her that, you know, I don't know how to drive stick, you know? Like, I just couldn't admit that I didn't know what I was doing. And this, you know, people joke all the time, men can't stop and ask for directions. And, um, I prefer my destination to being lost, so I actually will stop and ask for directions. But for men for whom that's a problem... Um, uh, you, you, um, and any other situation, you want to show that you know what you're doing because you're not a man if you don't know everything all the time, if you don't know how to do stuff. Um, so, uh, so that's the, these are the standards that men are held to, and so we hide, we lie, like I did. That's another form of hiding. Um, I, I hid the fact that I didn't know what I was doing. Um, this is the this is the law of manliness, and we experience it every day. Um, we, we can't meet it, so we hide. We hide the bad stuff about us, and we also hide who we really are. If there's something that's true about us that we don't want the world to see because we think it doesn't fit with what a man is supposed to be, we, we hide that. Um, just watch Billy Elliot. Uh, um, because we, only, we, only wanna, we don't want to show anything to the world that may cause us to be rejected. We don't want to show anything that will cause us to be rejected, have our manliness questioned. Um, that's why men pat each other on the back when they hug, uh, because um, you know the, the joke is when the the, the hug. I'm just going to use you as a demonstration, but don't don't worry. <laughs> the pat on the back um, means you know it's three pats, and the meaning of the three pats is I'm not gay, right? <laughs> um, the, uh, and um, I'm not. That's not. That's not a political statement in any way. Um, but um, yeah, it feels weird if you hug a man if you don't pat him on the back, right? Because just a real embrace. It's just a little too close. I don't know. So um, we we kind of. But that's a way we hide emotion. We hide. You know. We sort of fear um, emotion, and we fear needing anybody. We fear intimacy. Um, and the result of all this hiding and only showing what the world. Uh, deems acceptable and hiding everything else um, 
is, as I said, stress, anxiety, confusion, loneliness, um, and that it manifests in two ways. Um, the desire to escape, whether that's escaping, as I said, to your uh, den with scotch in hand, or whether that's escaping um, to uh, the strip club, or escaping to Vegas, or escaping to an affair, or whether it's um, just trying to get some relief through numbing it, um, through hobbies, through sort of addiction to sports, or through addiction to work, um, or whatever, or uh, golf, or whatever it is. Just so relief, escape, um, numbing. That's that's what we do. So I want to play now, hopefully, this uh, clip, and we'll see if it works. This is, as I said, from Mad Men Season 3. This is Betty Draper um, finding her husband's um, key to his desk and then opening it. So we'll see if this works. So, um, <clears throat> Betty Draper opens this drawer and finds a box in which she finds all this evidence that her husband has a life that she knows nothing about. She finds childhood pictures of him. He's never really told her much about his childhood, but she sees pictures of a man that looks like him, but with another name, uh, Dick Whitman. Uh, she finds dog tags, one set that says Donald Draper, one said Richard Whitman. Um, she finds a decree of divorce, um, of her, uh, which has her husband's name, Don Draper. She finds a deed to a house in Long Beach, California. Um, just all this evidence of a whole life that she has no clue ever existed. That there's a lot more to her. There's a whole a side of her husband that's been hidden, that's been buried. Um, and uh, all of Mad Men, this series, um, it's... I mean, this is essentially the story uh, with everybody in the series, but Don Draper is a central character, is sort of looking at that that very typical, very common human condition of having two lives, of having sort of a secret life and and a real uh, and the life that you show to everyone else. Um, and it's the it's the American man. I mean, this is the thing we all deal with. And you can, um, if you want an earlier example, just read The Great Gatsby. I mean, Jay Gatsby is James Gatz from the Midwest, poor, comes from nothing, and he moves to New York and makes a ton of money and buys a huge mansion on Long Island and calls himself Jay Gatsby and um, has, and actually, and this, this is a story that is very compelling. So there's the, there's the book that F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote in the 20s, right? So this is not a new phenomenon at all. And then it gets made into a movie with um, 
um, uh, Robert Redford and Mia Farrow in the 70s or 80s, and then um, uh, and then it gets turned into. There's a hip hop version called G. Long Island, like, but was sort of hip hop moguls. Um, came out in 2001, I think. And then they're they're doing a new movie, um, another remake of The Great Gatsby with Leonardo DiCaprio that's coming out, I think, this summer. It should be amazing. Um, so uh, the story continues to have traction. People still want to see this. And I think watching something like Don Draper with his secret life, I mean, there's, um, I sat in, in the, uh, the hotel bar at the Tutwiler um, uh, two nights ago, uh, just sort of doing anthropological research. If you ever, it's really fascinating. I, I, nursed my, I nursed one bourbon for like an hour and a half and just listening to the conversations around me. Um, and I had a little notebook, and I was just writing down some thoughts for some stuff I'm working on. But it was just interesting to listen to these conversations. These are people who are hanging out with folks who are not in their families, um, so they're sort of safe, um, and they're traveling for business and groups, and they're just unloading kind of all their frustrations uh, with their career not working out the way they thought, the office junk that they're dealing with, and the, po the politics of that. They're talking about their kids and how that's not working out. And um, I just I think about. Um, that song by Billy Joel, The Piano Man, uh, you know, that's the classic song about men escaping into a bar um, and, uh, you know, as the businessmen slowly get stoned and they just talk about the people they used to be, the men they used to be and how things haven't worked out now. Um, and, and that's what you see in airport bars across the country, uh, minus Billy Joel, unfortunately. He can't be in all of them. Um, uh, but that's, this, this is the situation I'm talking about. You know, the secret life of the American male, um, what we're hiding, what we've buried, um, the things we do, but also a lot of times the people we are, the men that we are, the things that we're afraid to show people. Um, uh, habits, relationships, etc. I think um, you find a lot of men reconnecting on Facebook um, with old flames. Women, too. This uh, Facebook is, is for a couple things. It's to... Um, Prove to the world that you're more su successful than you are. Um, and Facebook is also for reconnecting with old flames. And this happens all the time. You know, because you, you connect to that part of you that you, you, you were, it was a truer you, right? Now you've got, you know, two mortgages and a failed marriage. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all you can do to get a better in the morning. But if you connect with, um, you know, Susie, who you knew when you were 17, um, I mean, that kind of can, uh, that spark is a very powerful spark that connects a deep place in you. And, and uh, you know, your men talk about how, you know, they feel understood and they feel um, a way they haven't felt in years and that kind of stuff. Um, again, relief, um, that gives us relief and it gives us escape. It's a fantasy world where you can go to where all of your problems that you normally carry around are, are gone. Uh, so that was sort of the, the uh, point of last night. Aiken is our prototype. We hide. Um, we hide because we're trying to meet the demands of what it means to be a man, uh, play that man contest, collect all the points we can, try to win the game, uh, but that we can't, so that we, um, we, we hide the bad parts, we hide who we are. Stress, anxiety, confusion, loneliness result, and to deal with that, we either escape or we try to numb and get some relief. Um, so we looked at that clip. Um, and I want you to think about if, if um, your wife or if your person you live with or um, whoever close to you, if they were to find the key and then open your box, what would be in there? What would be in 
your box. What are you hiding? just want you to think about that as I talk today. Maybe the answer is obvious to you. Maybe it's not. But what is in your box? Um, this morning, I want to now transition and talk about, begin to talk about how do we get out of hiding? How do we, how do we come out of the place where we're hiding? Um, how do we get to a place where we can be more fully, authentically who we are? Um, uh, how can we be more like Jimmy Stewart in Shenandoah? Anybody seen Shenandoah? Amazing film came out in the 60s about uh, a farmer um, in Virginia during the Civil War. And Jimmy Stewart is probably the most self-actualized man, his character in that movie that I've ever seen. He's so confident in who he is. He doesn't need to be anyone else. Um, he doesn't need. He, he just is who he is, and he's totally comfortable in that. Um, and uh, um, uh, that's. I want to be Jimmy Stewart when I grow up. More modern version would be maybe Coach Taylor and Friday Night Lights. If you watch that show, it was on NBC for five seasons, just ended two years ago. Um, and there's another example of a man who, he's not perfect, but he is who he is, and he doesn't feel the need to be someone else for other people. Um, uh, and he loves his wife, and he loves his kids, and, and uh, he's just solid as a rock. And that's kind of what I want to be, with, without the kind of two halves. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about how we get out of hiding, and, and, I, and I say this as someone who um, is in process like the rest of you. I am in some ways still in hiding, in other parts of my life I'm coming out of hiding, and sometimes we, we go back into hiding, and, and life is a process of sometimes going back and forth along that path. Um, maybe we discover things we didn't realize we were hiding. Um, but I'm going to share a little bit um, uh, of what I've learned, and I hope it's helpful for you all. Um, so how? How do we get to a place that we're not afraid anymore? Because that's why we hide, right? We hide because we're afraid. If somebody knew, we would be ruined. So how do we stop being so afraid? Um, the answer is to get desperate, where the cost of hiding is higher uh, than the cost of coming into the light get a little desperate. I want to tell you a story uh, from the Bible about Zacchaeus. This is from Luke chapter 19. It's a story you'll probably know. Um, I'm going to um, read it once, all the way through, and then I'm just going to comment uh, verse by verse. Luke 19, verse 2. Now a man named Zacchaeus was there. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to get a look at Jesus. Jesus is on a trip. He's passing through. He was trying to get a look at Jesus, but being a short man, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him because Jesus was going to pass that way. Okay. A man named Zacchaeus was there. Zacchaeus means he's Jewish. It's a Jewish name. And, of course, the area where they're living is um, uh, controlled by the Roman Empire. So it's Jewish territory. It's their homeland. God promised it to them. Yet these awful, despicable, pagan people of the wrong religion and the wrong culture that have values that are totally disgusting and offensive to the Jews um, are now the ones that are in power. They're the boss. And uh, the Jews hate this. And uh, because we don't like it when somebody who's not one of our people, not of our tribe, is 
our chief, right, our, our leader. We don't want that. We want our leader to look like us because that, that's an extension of us. Again, I could say more about man points, but, you know, we, we want our leader to look like us. And so the, the, the Jews hate that the Romans are over them. And so we know there's this man named Zacchaeus, so we know he's a Jew. And it says he's the chief tax collector and was rich. Now, what does that mean? So tax collector. Uh, that means he works for the Romans, because the Romans are the government. They're the ones that collect the taxes. So Now, the IRS is not that popular today, um, but then they were even more so because uh, of the rampant corruption. It was a little bit like Russia. If you go to Russia today, um, I don't know if you saw the meteor coverage last week. Um, the, most of the footage they had were from people who had cameras on their dashboards. I don't know if you noticed that, but they were all people driving around that captured this meteor in the sky as they were driving. And uh, a lot of people in the West were like, why do so many people in Russia have cameras on their dashboard? That is really weird. Um, and it turns out the reason they have dash cams is uh, because of the corruption of the society and especially the police. So if you get pulled over, um, the police is going to, the police will often pull you over for fake uh, reasons. Uh, and then try to get you to pay a bribe to be released. And But if you can get it all on film, uh, then you can point to the camera on your dashboard and the police will have to let you go. So uh, that's the kind of corruption that existed in... Um, see, in America, where it's safe, we have cameras in the back of our car so we don't run over things, right? But in Russia, you put cameras in the front so you can catch the cops um, uh, trying to uh, um, swindle you. So uh, the... Um, Zacchaeus is a tax collector, so because he has the power of Rome behind him, and Rome doesn't really care that much about their oppressed subjects, um, the tax collector can demand more from you than you actually owe. And uh, if you don't pay, he can use the authority of the state to, um, to get you into big trouble. So you, he sort of has you over a barrel, and tax collectors were no... And, and, and in case you thought, may, well, maybe Zacchaeus was the one good tax collector. Um, well, uh, Luke lets us know that's not true because he says, and he was rich. Uh, you know, every little word in the Bible matters, right? So they don't spend a lot of time describing situations. Sometimes you have to read between the lines a little bit. Um, these weren't written on a word processor. Paper was not cheap. Uh, you know, to make a book was expensive and time-consuming and difficult. So you had to use as few words as possible to say what you wanted to say. Uh, and because you couldn't mass-produce these things, right? They were hand-copied. And um, But for Luke to put that little word in there, and he was rich is Luke's shorthand way of saying, this guy was no good. This guy was a thug. This guy would use his authority to, um, to take advantage of people and to steal, basically. Now, not only was he a tax collector, which means it's like, it'd be like if the Taliban took over Alabama. That's, and, and, and your son went to work for the Taliban to enforce the new Sharia law that was now being uh, put in place in Birmingham. That's how the Jews would have felt about Zacchaeus working for the Romans. So he's a traitor. He's a traitor because he's out for himself. He wants to get money. He wants to advance in the world. Um, and, and we know that he's, uh, he's dishonest and that he's using his position unfairly because we know he's rich. And we also, there's one more little word that Luke throws in there. He's not only a tax collector, he's the chief tax collector. So he's done very well. He has, 
he has outswindled even his Roman counterparts. You know, he, he has advanced somehow in the ranks to become the chief tax collector. So there he is, hated by everyone from his people, loved by the Romans, living in his big house, uh, probably with a great uh, lifestyle, maybe a little Jay Gatsby going on there. Um, so, uh, so that's what's going on with Zacchaeus. Now, what kind of life do you think he had? We don't know. Doesn't tell us. But we, we can, I think, reasonably assume that he had, because he had the means to do it, and because of what we already do know about him, that there was a lot, he, he was able to pursue all uh, ways of escape. You know, the ways we try to escape. And he was probably able to re- pursue all the different ways we like to uh, seek relief or numbing of the, of the pain, right? Um, wine, women, and song, sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever uh, trio you like to think of, um, of activities. But he was probably able to indulge quite liberally in, in all those things. Um, so that's the kind of guy Zacchaeus is. That's verse 2. Verse 3, he was trying to get a look at Jesus, but being a short man, he could not see over the crowd. So he's trying to see Jesus. I mean, that in itself is interesting. If you think about that kind of man, um, you know, Snoop Dogg was trying to see Jesus. Or something, I mean, something like, think about someone you, you don't think of as a particularly religious, virtuous person. Um, uh, um, Silvio Berlusconi was trying to see Jesus. Um, see, I'm trying to draw people from all walks of life because you're not laughing. So. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, one of the Kardashians. Kim Kardashian was trying to see Jesus, trying to get a look. Why? So I think this is the thing. He's he's beginning to get a little desperate. Um, his way of life is beginning to run out of gas. Um, um, he's looking for something. So he's beginning to get a little desperate. All the hiding and all the escaping is not working anymore. He's trying to get a look at Jesus. And maybe you think, well, he's just curious. You know, Jesus was kind of at the headlines of the day, so maybe he's just curious. Well, um, there's, there's more coming. Um, it says, being a short man, he could not see over the crowd. So this is another little detail Luke gives us, which is really interesting. Um, he's short. He doesn't, uh, and th- that's not nothing. Um, uh, there's been a lot of studies. The biggest indicator of wealth, um, if you, if you, they, you know, they do big sample studies of men, and the thing that's most highly correlated to wealth is height. Um, you know, it's it's not, um, it's not everything, but somehow it's something. So, Craig, you know. Congratulations. Um, uh, you know, I'm I'm not a tall man, and uh, when I was in middle school, and uh, I was I'd skipped a grade, so I was young and I was short, and um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I was teased for that, and um, that's something. You know, the reason, peop- you know, cowboy boots I think were invented because people want to feel taller. Men want to feel taller. Um, look at poor Tom Cruise. You know. The man is tiny, um, and uh, his whole life is, you know, possibly trying to overcome that. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. But um, so, but Zacchaeus is short. I mean, the, we we have this word Napoleonic complex. I mean, sort of this whole thing exists. It's not nothing. So it's not everything, but it's not nothing. Um, 
so he's short. So he's and the fact that Luke mentions it takes time in the New Testament to tell us that I think indicates that he's insecure. So you know, for you it might be something else. Maybe you're not insecure about your height. Maybe you're insecure about something else. Um, um, you know, the the hair club for men or your weight or whatever it is. You know, men. There's lots of things to be insecure about your appearance as a man. Um, so uh, th- I just uh, saw a clip um, of the Green Hornet. I haven't seen the whole movie, but I was flipping through channels, and the villain apparently the reason he hates the Green Hornet is because the villain is this deformed man in a wheelchair, and the Green Hornet is this you know is Ryan Reynolds, this like six pack abs and like tall and attractive. Um, so uh, this is this is a thing. So then we read verse four. He ran on ahead. Zacchaeus ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. Because Jesus was going to pass that way. So just, again, two things that, um, that if you pause and think about this for a second, really jump out in that little short verse. He ran on ahead to see him, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree. Men in those days didn't run. Uh, it was seen as something children did. And especially if you think about the clothing, it wasn't necessarily easy to run if you're in these robes. Um, you'd sort of have to gather it up. And, uh, and run, um, and it was seen as undignified uh, to run. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, and I think there's something about this that still exists today. Um, when you are in a crosswalk and people are, then there's cars waiting at the crosswalk for you to pass, you feel the need to move quickly to get out of the way, but you don't want to run because th- somehow that feels a little, I don't know, you don't want to, so you just sort of go, you know, you walk really fast. And maybe you'll do the little jog, and then you'll run, and then you'll walk again, right? You, it's it's somehow seen as um, undignified to run, even today, and even more so then in this kind of shame honor culture in the in the um, Middle East. So, but Zacchaeus ran; he just took off and ran to get ahead of the crowd, so that he could then climb up in the tree and then um, and see Jesus as he passed by. So, um, and the, and not only did he run, he climbed a tree. A grown man, in his, I'm sure, very nice robes, climbed a tree where everybody could see him. Um, So he's willing to give up his dignity in two pretty big ways. Um, So here's a a man who's uh, um, a traitor, um, a cheat, living the high life on the backs of his own people, Um, and he... uh, um, he's a partier. It's not working out. He's insecure about how he looks and his appearance. And yet he's willing to do the thing that's probably the most painful to him, which is to look undignified in front of other people, to, to lose the cool that he's so, worked so hard to collect, uh, to run and to climb a tree, to see a religious figure. It wasn't like Katy Perry was coming through. It was the Messiah. It was this wonder worker, this healer this kind of grubby uh, carpenter-turned-itinerant preacher. Um, so uh, he gives up his uh, dignity. He's a man who's desperate. He's a man who's desperate to change his situation. Um, he's a man who's hitting bottom. I don't if you, um, you want to... And I don't know if you've been to that, if you've ever been in that um, place where you're so desperate. 
if you've ever contemplated suicide. It's, it's sort of that level of emotional intensity. Um, if you've seen the movie Sideways, which is a, a movie about two wine lovers who go to wine country in California, kind of a last-ditch weekend before um, one of them gets married. And he's very much a Zacchaeus-type character. He's a partier, he lives the high life, he's a ladies' man, he's about to get married, and he sleeps with everything that moves on this trip. And it, it finally catches up with him at the end, and he gets caught, and he... Um, he he um he's caught with the woman the husband comes home and he runs naked out of the house and and in back to his hotel room where his his buddy his traveling companion his best friend is asleep and he um and he um he's begging him to help him begging him and cuz he's left his wallet in the house and uh but he's desperate because he knows it's over. And if his, if his fiance finds out, if her family finds out, and he's this naked, crying, weeping, basket case of a man, just please help me, please help me, please help me. That's the level of desperation that um, Zacchaeus is in here. His life that he's chased has not worked out um, so much so that he's willing to um, begin to uh, give it up. He's looking for Jesus. He's thrown away the dignity, the sort of false appearance stuff that he's tried to put on his armor to prove his value and his worth. Um, and he's chasing Jesus. Um, so the, the way you begin to come out of hiding is to get a little desperate, is to get to that place where um, you know, the, the hiding has protected you. It's come at a cost, but it has protected you. And in the cost-benefit analysis, the cost of hiding has been lower than the cost of actually admitting who you are and what's going on in your life. But at some point, that balance begins to shift and you get a little desperate because the cost of staying in hiding becomes too high. Um, uh, and so the, the, the thing that I want to say to you this morning is the, the first way you begin to come out of hiding is to begin to get a little desperate, um, to begin to get... Um, increasingly dissatisfied with the the hidden life that you've got going on, um, and uh, um, it, you may stay in that desperation world for a while. You may camp out there for a few months, for a few years, um, but something begins to shift. Um, now, the 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 way to get desperate is to uh, get honest, or to at least been given to see honestly, to see clearly your life. Um, I'm sure there was a time in Zacchaeus' life where everything seemed really wonderful. He was the life of the party. Sure, he maybe lost some friends from the old village, but look at all the new friends he had, right? Um, and they were cool friends, and things were going well. Um, uh, Romans throw a great party, right? So, uh, but... Um, but at some point, you begin to see honestly. You begin to have that moment of kind of looking in the mirror and seeing your life for what it is. That game show I referenced yesterday uh, on Saturday, Saturday Night Live, um, where the, when the host asked the contestants, you know, what do you do? And that guy said, I'm a self-employed entrepreneur. The game show was called, What Have You Become? And uh, the, the way it worked is that the host would go, through the contestants and say, okay, your first question, Mike from Indianapolis, what have you become? And then this sort of really serious, somber music would start and the light would go on Mike from Indianapolis and he would say, oh my God, 
my life's amounted to nothing. I live at home with my parents. And you'd have this major nervous breakdown crisis. And then they'd go to the next person, do the same thing, and the same thing would happen. That was the only question. You know, Sue from St. Louis, your question is, what have you become? You know, deer in the headlights. Um, I wanted to be a dancer. So um, that what have you become question, like that's the kind of thing that begins to get you to honestly look at your life. And so the little exercise I want you to do right now um, is to, uh, we're going to do a little exercise in honesty. I'm not going to ask you to share with anyone. This is just for you. But um, I want you to go back to that Mad Men clip and think about what's in the box. What is in your box? Um, and I want you to write it down. Um, whether If you have a smartphone, you can write it on um, you know, your little note taker there. Um, even if it's just a word, just because you know what that word means. But I want to take it a little bit out of the... the, the um, the ether and put it in something concrete. Um, I want to take it a little bit out of kind of your headspace because I could say what's in the box. I'm sure you have thoughts right now, but I want I want you to see them in front of you on something physical, something concrete. So, um, pen, paper, notepad on your phone, whatever it is. Um, but write down what's in the box. Some 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 questions that I can just if you're having trouble coming up with something. What's something that your wife doesn't know about you? Or something that the people you live with don't know about your parents or whatever. Um, your best friend doesn't know about you if you're not married. What's something that this, someone who's close to you doesn't know about you? What's something that's a secret habit? Um, what's something that's that um, like Zacchaeus? You know, he's short. What's something about you that you're sort of ashamed of about yourself, your appearance, or kind of um, something about you? Um, that you can't really change. So those are some ideas, but it could be something else for you. But what's what's in the box for you? So just write that down. Anybody need a pen? I have one up here. Isn't it true, though, that Jesus hid his identity Ooh. just about all his life? Walter, right? So Walter had a point, um, isn't it true that Jesus hid his identity just about all his life? Um, and I think, uh, yeah. Although I think in his childhood there was a question about how much he knew about himself. I think in his full humanity, um, when he was five years old, he had the brain of a five-year-old. Uh, and um, he didn't have some secret grown-up brain. Uh, so I think he he himself, as his as he developed cognitively and neurologically, um, it took him and socially it took him time to figure out who he was. Um, but uh, I think his you know the, there's something interesting about Jesus's identity. He um, he revealed it on purpose, exactly how and when he wanted to reveal it. Um, he didn't keep it secret because he was really afraid of what people would do or think. You can't handle the truth. Um, yeah, you can't handle the truth. That's right. Jesus is Jack Nicholson in, um, in A Few Good Men. Um, he, there's, um, yeah, he, he revealed it to his disciples when it was the appropriate time. Um, he revealed it to the world when it was the appropriate time. And I think he, he was very careful about it because he knew that um, it wouldn't be understood uh, uh, correctly um, because everybody thought the Messiah would be something that he wasn't. Um, so, and of course, he revealed it most clearly on the cross, but even then people didn't get it. 
it took uh, the resurrection, it took the ascension, and it took Pentecost for people to begin to get it. So, you know, there's there's different ways of hiding, and I think there are times when it's appropriate not to div, um, disclose everything. Um, you know, the kinds of things that you've written down uh, this morning, there's probably some people that need to know that. Probably not everybody that you meet. Um, so, uh, I think coming out of hiding um, uh, doesn't look the same in every situation. <laughs> So, but that's a that's a really good question, um, and there's certain things about who you are that I think should be um, should be private um, for the people that are important to you and close to you. You know, Jesus revealed his identity to people that needed to know, but not to those who didn't. So, uh, so it's it's not that everybody needs to know everything about you. That's not the path to healing or wholeness, but but there should be somebody. Who knows you? There should be at least one person, a handful of people that really know who you are. Um, so that's that's kind of what we're getting towards. Um, so uh, that's what I have for this morning. I now would like you to turn to the person and read your list to that next to you. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, uh, and you know that's a, that's an exercise. Um, you can take a lot more time on that if you want. Um, if you are a guy who writes things down or not, I mean, hey, today is a day you can start if you want. Um, but um, there have been times in my life where I've gone through and written down um, uh, when I've had to come to grips with certain patterns or certain habits or certain actions. Let me trace this back to the beginning. What's the first memory of me dealing with this issue and writing that down? And then how did it progress? through my childhood, through my uh, high school years, through my young adulthood, through um, uh, the rest of my life. And sometimes if you give yourself that bird's eye view of your life, you step outside of your life for a second, um, have an out-of-body experience and just sort of chart the whole thing, just write it down, um, it can be sort of amazing uh, when that looks you in the face. Um, That's that's another way to get a little honest and to get a little desperate. Um, you can jumpstart the process on that, because the the thing that that um, the the, rec- the the prerequisite for the kind of life that I'm talking about, where you know where you achieve the Jimmy Stewart uh, freedom, where you kind of come to that place of self-acceptance and peace, solidity, um, uh, uh, where you're no longer like a tree blown in the wind, you know, uh, but you're kind of a solid rock. Um, that place of coming to the what Jesus calls the peace that passes all understanding, um, where you're not anxious and hiding, um, when you don't, um, when you can come home to your house after work and not feel um, that fear rising in your chest as you open the door or pull into the garage or whatever it is, come into that place of freedom where you're not scared anymore. Uh, and where you're not hiding anymore. It's it's not an overnight thing, but it does require, as I've said, um, getting desperate and then getting honest. It does require some honesty. Um, and you can take baby steps with honesty. You can um, find, uh, and I'll talk about, this is the second half of my talk, but so I'll, I'll, I'll put, a, put a pause there, but um, we'll pick that up later um, this morning. So thanks. Now you have a break. 
um, so you can go pack up your bags, um, uh, or if you haven't done that, or checkouts when, 11? 11. 11. Okay, so it's, it's 5 to 10 right now, so we'll see you at 10.15, all right? Okay. Thanks, guys.